0: So, okay, so you're standing before the today, all of you before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, and all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, your sojourners here in the camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord your God, and with whoever is not here with us today. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen detestable things, their idols and wood and stone of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware lest you be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of, the, of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, big, big line, one who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead you to sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation, your children, who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of... That land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing there, where no plant can sprout and overthrow, and overthrow like that of that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. And all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? What caused the heat of, of this great anger? Then the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which made with, which he made with them and he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had known and whom they had not, not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing, up it, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book, and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. Okay, now this next verse, the last verse in 29, is really going to kind of segue into verse 30. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Okay, so he's saying, establishing this covenant, and he's saying, you know, for the person who walks away from me um, and, uh, you know, says, I don't need the Lord, he says, a day may come for that person is removed from the land. And and so, the next, Deuteronomy 30, I'm just going to read the first two verses here, first two verses talks about, when this happens, here's where we go. When all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord, Lord your God has scattered you. Okay, so... Here's the thing. Here's, what I'm, here's, here's where I'm kind of going to go with this. So we're looking at uh, an address to the whole nation of Israel. And what we're going to look at is how, how is this kind of applied to us as people who repeatedly throughout a given day walk away from the Lord, who worship other idols, who um, take matters into our own hands. And so day to day there is this kind of are we in the land, are we outside the land kind of dynamic going on in our lives. Um And so we're going to look at five themes that are in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, The first is going to be the land. The second theme is going to be the law. The third theme is going to be repentance as turning to God himself as a person. Uh, the fourth is the personal and submissive relationship with God, and the fifth is going to be total surrender. These are going to be kind of the themes that we're going to see here in these verses. Um, the first, and by the way, this was uh, this was supposed to be a two. This is supposed to be a two-week class. I had hopes that I'd be able to take care of all of it in uh, week one, but I'm not really sure if that's going to happen. Um, so the first theme is the land. Um, understand that land is 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 kind of uh, has a has a. I don't want to say symbolic, but has uh, connotations or implications in Scripture with being in God's presence or being out of God's presence. There is a lot of times we see that there is a, a relationship between places or space and the presence of God. We see that especially in the Old Testament. So the the Promised Land, uh, when we think in terms of uh, how does the Promised Land relate to uh, I don't want to say allegory either, but how is it almost allegorical or analogical to uh, kind of the spiritual realm? You know, when the Israelites were in Egypt, that was bondage to sin. They were in slavery, right? And so when we were sinners, and when we were in bondage to sin, that's where we were, in Egypt. So then God bringing them out of, out of Egypt is like salvation. It's like justification. They've been brought out of, out of Egypt across this chasm they could not pass on their own. That's like justification. When they're in the wilderness, that's where we are right now. We're in the wilderness um, because we're in between our justification where we've been brought out of slavery and bondage, but we're not in the promised land yet. The promised land, anybody want to guess what the promised land is? Heaven. Yeah, it relates to heaven or glorification or the restored earth. And so, so anyhow, so that's, so even though obviously um, it's not fully realized, when the uh, Israelites go into the promised land, it's like they are, it's it's analogical to like us entering into glory, going to heaven, the full presence of God. So there's this kind of expectation that the promised land is a place where there is a concentrated presence of God. Okay, what is another place that we see in the Old Testament where there is a concentrated presence of God? The Ark. The Ark. Great. Holy of Holies, the temple, okay? So when the psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere, um, he, you know the court is the outside part of the, um, the outside part of the temple. it 's not the inside temple, but it 's kind of uh, it's usually where the Gentiles hang out, but it 's kind of the periphery of the temple. and he 's saying that the courts of the temple are so great because even in the courts, I, I feel your presence, God. Another one, another two in Psalm 137 when it talks about uh, by the river of Babylon where we sat down. How can we sing King Alpha's song in a strange land? They're depressed because that Psalm is written when they're in exile. They're outside the land, so they feel as if they're outside the presence of God. So for our like day-to-day application, um, it's almost we, you know, when I'm going to talk about being in the land versus being outside the land. What I'm really talking about is kind of like being feeling like we're in the presence of God versus feeling. Uh, like we're distant from the Lord. Now, one thing to say is, when we feel distant from God, that's not necessarily because we've done something wrong. Um, you know, I'll, sometimes we feel, just feel distant from God because it's a bad time. Or we feel distant from God uh, because we just have had a had a season where that's just how it is. And God's teaching us when we feel like God is not there. Um, and I know for myself, a lot of times I'll have days where I just really don't seek the Lord. I just kind of wake up and just go. And never think about God. And at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, I never really felt like I connected with the Lord at all. I kind of felt like I was out of the land during that day. So, so one of the themes here, what we're talking about, is the land, like the presence of God. Okay, next theme, the law. Okay, now in, in verse 30, when it says, When all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind... These things that he's talking about—that's the law. He's talking about God's commandments, um, and he says that uh, I have set them before you. So he's saying that they're a gift, like I've given the law to you. And then he says, uh, and he says when they come upon you, it's like the law, like uh, the law, like consumes them. The law is a part of them. It's written in their heart. Um, and anyhow, and then he says, and you call them to mind. So basically, the the first kind of first thing that's brought up here in returning to the land is the law. Okay, now, that's all, that's like a four-letter word of this church, to say the law, right? Um, and we need to understand, like, the, the word the law is used a lot of different ways. It's used seven different times, seven different ways in the book of Romans. Um, so when we think of the law as a four-letter word, um, what we're talking about there is the law as a system of living. It's a, it's a mindset or a way we live where we are uh, working out of our own strength, and we are depending on ourself to live up to a measure. So that's what it means to, to live in the law. What I'm talking about, what is being talked about here, is God's uh, commandments and God revealing himself through the law. And so what I'm going to say here is the law is a good thing. law is a great thing. <laughs> but we had, Tully Intervision said it really well when he was here for Lent and Lunch. We have to understand the, the job description of the law. So I'm going to look at kind of two, two kind of, functions of the law, two uses of the law um, that are that are valuable in us repenting and us um, returning to the Lord. Um, and the first is, by the way, just to affirm like how good the law is, it, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, drippings and the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So that's just to affirm that like we hear like the law bad, law bad, law bad. But when we think about the law in the right sense, we think about it in, in this good way. The law is really good. It you know reviving the soul. Okay, so the first the first kind of application of law here is just to, to consider the law as seeing the beauty of God. Uh, Alan Ross says, said it um, really well once. He said that the law is a picture of what God would look like in all of his perfection, all of his beauty, all of his holiness, if he came down to earth. And so that makes so much sense. And when Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh 5, 19, that I had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them, it makes sense that Jesus would say I came to fulfill them because he is God on earth. And so, uh, you know, the law is like a provision to show us what God would look like. Jesus is God himself, so we can see it. Uh, the very image of what God would look like on this earth. So the first kind of uh, as far as like returning to the land, returning to the Lord just to see the law as a reflection of God's character. And, and so like in my um, uh, I, I, this, is, uh, this is not an everyday thing, but I when I pray uh, and a lot of times prayer for me is I'm in the car or I'm like pushing a, pushing a double stroller so that my wife can get a shower. Um, a lot of times I like to just go through the Ten Commandments in my head. And the first thing I'll do is i ask the Lord to show me his beauty. To ask me to see God himself in the law. The second thing I'll ask God to do, and that's the second use of the law I'm going to talk about, is to show me where I fall short, to convict me of, of, where I, um, of my sin. And understand, like you talk about the three uses of the law. The first, the law, is like the civil use of keeping order, traffic lights, speed limits, uh, plugs, in your outlet so your baby doesn't put a fork in there. That's the first use of the law. Everyone agrees on that. The second use of the law, or the theological use of the law, is basically the law is meant to show us our sin. So, in, um, so for example, Paul says in Romans 7-7, uh, What shall I say then, that that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known that it is to, what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet and so the law is not meant to be a ladder. It's not meant to be a something where we try to climb up to be better people, we try to be less adulterous, or less idolatrous, or less greedy. The law is meant to show us that we are greedy and that we are envious and that, uh, that we are um, yeah, that we are dishonest. And it's meant to show us you know, and this makes perfect sense when we talk about the law as being a reflection of God's character it's meant to show us that we're not God. <laughs> And uh, and that we're not meant meant to live as if we are God, which is our default mode as sinners. And so a lot of times when I'll pray, I'll I'll go through the Ten Commandments. I'll ask the Holy Spirit to convict me of where I'm in sin um, as a means to point me to the Lord. Um, And uh, I will tell you the truth. When I do that, I probably spend 90% of my time on idolatry. I feel like most of my sin flows out of idolatry uh and so it's like wow i've covered so many idols huh what's left um so anyhow uh that's just a practical application so my encouragement in this is law is good and uh and this is the first thing that he brings up here in this in this in, uh in this call to repentance is uh as you know the meditating on the law embracing the law but not as a, not as a ladder but as a mirror to show us our need for the lord okay well, the next thing he says is he he says um. Uh, you know, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children. So the, the next name again, turning to God Himself as a person. So now here's the thing. When I grew up, um, no offense, Southern Baptist. I grew up Southern Baptist. I was taught that repentance is turning away from sin. It was Dune one eighty. That's what it was called. Okay. So I don't know if you, if any of you, uh, maybe you had a better. Uh, <laughs> better Christian education growing up, but if you think of repentance as simply turning away from sin and not doing the bad, bad things anymore, you've got that is like a com- totally incomplete view of repentance. That's the, that's the view of repentance I had for a long time. Repentance is turning away from yourself and turning to God himself. And one thing that I would point out here is it says, return to the Lord your God. Um, I think that a lot of time, especially in evangelical Reformed circles... We talk a lot about the performance of God. We talk about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And the gospel's great, don't get me wrong. Praise the Lord, saved by the gospel, (laughs) right? But we, a lot of times, neglect the person of God. We talk about the things that God has done, Jesus has died on the cross for you. Jesus has justified you. The Father has adopted you as, as his son. The Holy Spirit has regenerated you. Has, you know, is God is with you in the Holy Spirit. We talk about the things that God does, but we don't talk about God himself as a person. And so we talk a lot of times there is this division between the person of God and the performance of God. And I would point out here that he says, "You return to the Lord your God." So this is very, very personal. And this calls us back to God as a person. Notice, like uh, you know, this verse, we all we all love it. Come unto you, all who uh, labor, who are weary and heavy laden, which, and I will give you rest. Return to me. He doesn't say return to the things that I've done. Return to the gospel. He says return to me. And again, here in this text, it says return to the Lord your God. So return to me. Now, um, and you'll see here throughout, throughout Deuteronomy, he will talk about the things that he did for them. Don't forget that I brought you out of Egypt. He did in, in, in chapter 29. Don't forget the way that I, I protected you against the Midianites. Don't forget the things that I've done. The things that I've done are good. Um, but also don't forget about me. And so what he is, uh, what he is calling them to here is to return to God the person, not just remember what he has done and I just know for myself, a lot of times I can get caught up in my spiritual life of um, just like remember the gospel, remember what Jesus has done. He's set you free. He set you free. He's accepted you perfectly. Uh, you don't you don't have to worry about the approval of other people, even when you're teaching a class at church. You don't have to worry about the approval of the judgment of people. God has accepted you. But I forget about God Himself, the person. And so um, so I think that's I think there's there's I think there is something to be said for Him saying. Return to the Lord your God, you and your children. Anybody have any questions at this point? Comments, pushback, thoughts, insights, interpretations? No. Silence. Silence. Okay. Hey, we'll take it. Okay, so that's the next thing. Now the thing that's interesting is, so we've said the law informs us that we need to turn to God. It informs us that we're sinners um, who need grace. And the next thing that is said is that we need to return to God himself. But now, what happens is he defines the nature of that relationship, Um, and it says here, continuing in verse 2, you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today. Okay, now, the term, the word voice is all over the Bible, it's especially all over the Old Testament, and, you know, when we're talking about obeying the voice of God, um, there are two different things we're talking about. One... We're talking about the voice of God and his commandments so um, so so that is that is one part we see that in first uh, Samuel twelve when Samuel is uh, speaking to the Israelites they've just got a king he says, if you'll fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against his command the commandment of the Lord uh, and if so anyhow basically he's talking about the, the God's uh, commandments and obeying, obeying God's voice in that way but Another element of a man, God's voice is in just like the circumstances of our life. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not getting hyper charismatic on you here, but, you know, like we all know what it is like to, you know, going through our day or facing different situations, facing trials, where we're just not really, we don't really know what to do, um, where we ask the Lord to guide us. We ask, you know, Lord, I, I want to, I want, I want, I just don't know what to do about my child. You know, like, you know, what do we do? Do we... Do we go on to potty training or we stay in the diapers, you know Should we go with the, should we go with the, you know the regular big boy under at night or should we put the pull-up on? you know this blog says this, that blog says that where do we go, God? No not to, uh, I don't mean to marginalize it, but uh, sadly that is where we are. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, um, so basically but there is an element where it talks about obeying the voice of God in the circumstances of life. Um, and so for example, these are some great examples. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve have blown it in the garden, uh, God says to Adam, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to. Um, so he's talking about following someone else's voice, not my own. Uh, some of you may remember this in Genesis 16, uh, where uh, you know God has made the promise that Abram is going to have children. Uh, they have not had children yet. Uh, Sarah, um, And you know, Sarah, Sarah comes to Abram, and she says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant, it may, that, it may, may, that we may obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, you know, in this context of Abram, he talks about there's all this conversation about the voice of God, the voice of God. And and so the voice of Sarah here is juxtaposed with the voice of God. Um and then another one. Oh, okay. So anyhow, so basically we see a lot, a lot in the Old Testament of you listen to my voice, God saying that, or you listen to the voice of Sarah, you listen to the voice of Eve. Um and so uh my point being that Uh, Part of returning to the land is to listen to the voice of the Lord, not just in his law, but in the circumstances of our life. What what, what he is creating is a dynamic where, um, he's creating a dynamic where if we're following the voice of God, like who is leading? It's it's God. It's it's creating a submissive relationship. Um, And so, and there's no, uh, for me, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible is John chapter 10, where Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I think it's particularly interesting and compelling about this is it's talking about following the voice of God, um, being in this submissive sheep-shepherd relationship. But the promise that he makes here is that if anyone follows the voice of the good shepherd, that they will find pasture. Again, that's a... Uh, he said, this is also where he says um, that I have come to you have life and have it abundantly. Um, but the, the pasture is a place. It's spatial. Again, talking about the land. Um, maybe making too much of a jump there. But, um, but anyhow, basically, so, uh, so anyhow, so that's the next thing he says. So, reviewing. The law shows us our need for God. We return to God as a person. We follow the voice of the Lord. I, I, again, um, uh, we follow the voice of the Lord, we're in a submissive sheep shepherd relationship. Okay, I feel like we're getting a little formulaic. I feel like it's step one, step two, step three. We just have to, we have to now kind of take a step back and go back to the gospel, which is um, repentance comes by grace. And uh, being able to follow, being convicted of sin, that's, that's grace. That's God's grace. Um, returning to God himself, uh, that's a grace. Being able to be in a, in a submissive relationship to God is totally unnatural. That's a grace. So in all of this, again, this I'm not spelling out a formula. in all of this, we must ask for the Holy Spirit to give us grace to return to the Lord to walk in His presence and to walk in a submissive relationship with him. Okay, last um, last last theme here is a call to total surrender. So in verse two, he says, um, he says, "You obey His voice and all that I command you today." With all your heart and all your soul. Um, so, again, return to the person. We're following the Lord, but it, it is a fully surrendered, uh, fully surrendered return. That's that to me is um, in kind of my days where I feel like I'm walking in the Spirit. Um, I think that what tends to be a, a trend or a characteristic. Is I'm usually uh, more surrendered. I'm not. I'm not kind of. I'm not semi-Pelagian, and I'm not kind of. I mean, I am, of course. I mean, I'm a sinner. I'm always sinning. (laughs) But, but there just it seems to be like I really am saying, all right, Lord, like this is your day. Um, I've got my list. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna. I'm gonna put that there, and Lord, I, I pray that you would bring to mind the things that I really need to do. And Lord, when there are interruptions, when the friend calls who needs to talk for 30 minutes and I just really don't, I really have X, Y, and Z to do, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust that you're sovereign in the circumstances and, um, you know, just, I really, really, really need your spirit to be what drives me. I just, I feel like this is probably, to me, in my life, uh, the most significant characteristic is being fully surrendered. And so, um... So, with that being said, we said that all over the place. I'm going to close with this, Jeremiah 29. This is cool, because in Jeremiah, this is, this is they're, they're getting exiled. That's what's happening. This is, Deuteronomy 29 is speaking directly, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 30 is speaking directly to what's gonna, what Jeremiah is talking about. And so, Jeremiah is speaking to the people as they're being exiled, or about to be exiled, or have an exile. Um, anyhow, speaking to their imminent exile, and he says, "For thus says the Lord: When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you." And by the way, the, the, the exile I'm talking about is the Babylonian captivity, 5, 597, 6th century, where they've been, uh, where they've been exiled from Israel. The islands have conquered them, brought their, uh, you know, brought all the people out of, of Jerusalem. Um, And so, anyhow, so when the seven years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So, um, I'm just going to close with that. That, uh, that It's just cool to see God's provision for this centuries before. And then we see they actually have blown it to a point where they have been exiled, and God is totally faithful. He says, I have, I, you know... Um, you have continued to worship idols. You've continued to defy me. And what I'm saying to you now, um, as you are suffering outside the land, what I'm saying to you is I have plans for you. I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to you. Um, when you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me, and I'm going to bring you out of the land um, and the places where I've driven you. And so, um, yeah, close to that. Anybody uh, Anybody have any anything there? All right, well, I'm hoarse. That was a lot of talking. All right, I'll pray. I'll, uh, I, my, my hope in this is that um, this just gives you, bless you with some tools to just have a, a daily life where, a daily life of repentance, a daily life of, of uh, recognizing our need for God, um, our rec- a daily life where we really do seek the Lord's guidance in our, in our situations and our circumstances, um, a life where we... Um, <coughs> Yeah, where we really are totally surrendered. And um, and, the, and the real prayer is that we just see how it's all God's goodness and, and grace towards us. If we ever ever have a day where this where we feel like we're walking in this. So, let's pray. I mean, I'll one thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's Martin Luther who said it. He said all of life is repentance. yeah. really reminded us of that. Oh, good, very good. Alright, I, I mean, I, I, it really is kind of like the pra- practical application of the Christian life. It's yeah. repentance, turning away from self, turning to God. So, thanks, that's great. Alright, I'll pray. Lord, um, thank you for your goodness for your loving kindness. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Um, and thank you that you're a good, loving God that we can always return to, you, Lord. I pray you'd forgive us our sins. I pray you convict us of uh, idols in our life that we need to turn from. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that um, you would... Just be very generous to us that we would know your presence, that we would know the joy and the hope and the peace of walking with you. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.